Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. Indeed, it is. That's it, Hummer. The 2020 Cincinnati Bearcats football team are American Athletic Conference champions after a 27-24 nail-biter victory over the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes. Awesome game, intense, uh, definitely some nerve-wracking moments, some flashbacks to uh, the terrors of Cincinnati sports past. But our Cincinnati Bearcats did it. Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Des Ritter. Honestly, I just I feel incredibly good for for what the team accomplished this year. It was an incredible game uh, through and through. I also like some of the gutsy calls, even when it didn't work, going forward on fourth down, having a turnover on downs, but then coming right back down uh, after a missed field goal on four on fourth down to go for it again just gutsy getting getting the offside call resulting in the game winning touch or game winning field goal phenomenal job desmond ritter you know for the conditions we were playing in uh he, he made me want to swallow some words i said about him in earlier podcasts he looked sharp he was throwing the ball i thought incredibly well given how wet the conditions were that he was playing in he seemed to just be zipping the ball in hitting hitting his receivers in stride hitting some hitting deep balls alec pierce phenomenal performance well that Um, man that third down play from des to pierce i think it was third and eight bearcats were on the final drive trying to win the game games tied at this point things are the wheels have come off a little bit things are getting dicey we've got a blocked field goal we've got a, a a fourth down attempt that came up short and on third and eight des stuck it to alec pierce I think it was about a, a 13, 14 yard completion down the field. Awesome throw, maybe even better catch. Um, and it kind of just, it was kind of the perfect cherry on top of what was a, a sensational season by Des Ritter. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was phenomenal all around. It was exciting to see, you know, Des Ritter with his, with his post-game comments, just the raw emotion, you know, I think it puts back into perspective. I, we've been focusing so much on the playoff and, and what, what the, what the committee was going to do. And we'll get into that later, but I think it's a good opportunity to step back and say, you know, this is what we accomplished. We accomplished a conference championship and that was a major goal of the what the players set out for this year. And you can tell that this is something that they, they really want. And yes, they want to be in the playoff, but that's you, the emotion that they left out in the field. It's incredible. It's exciting to see. This is the first time we've won this league um, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be the last time we're going to, we're going to see us winning this league. Um, just overall tremendous performance. Well, this now. championship, it had been out of reach, you know, for all, all that Luke Fickle has accomplished. And I think a lot of it came from the excitement on the recruiting trail, hometown heroes, improving the overall talent base within the Bearcat football program, but also starting to win some games. You know, this is a team that was competitive and, and competing for the American athletic title for the last couple of seasons and and came up short. We all remember the back-to-back losses against Memphis last season. This is the, the, the monkey off their back. They they've, 
They've finally won the conference championship. They've done everything in their power to have the best, best possible season you could have under incredibly trying circumstances. They played through COVID. They had multiple shutdowns because of COVID. They had games canceled, moved around. They had guys missing games in and out of lineups. You had a few injuries. Despite it all, they came out on top. They controlled everything they could control. They did it to the best of their ability. They achieved the highest level of success, an undefeated season, heading into a Peach Bowl matchup with the Georgia Bulldogs, another great opportunity for them to prove themselves against one of the elite programs in college football. And look, I'm glad we're focusing on the positive of everything they've accomplished and looking at it from the light of, hey, we need to be incredibly proud and congratulatory of this team because what they've done is historic in the context of Bearcats football. And they did it in in a year, 2020, that's just been incredibly trying and difficult and exhausting. And they overcame it all, got it done, American Athletic Conference champions. Yeah. And, and, you know, looking back at the game, I feel like every, every side of the ball, every aspect did their part in one way or another. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter, obviously he got the job done. He, he, he played incredibly well with his feet. He played incredibly well. I thought in the air, like I said, considering the fact that we had the rain, but the, the special teams units were, I thought incredibly uh, on on point as well. I think they did a bit a really really solid job. And we had five kick returns for 143 yards. The the longs were were 30 uh, were 30 and 32. We were basically getting 30 yards per return, setting us up with awesome field position. If it weren't for a couple fumbles, a couple turnovers, you know we're not looking at a, at a close scoring game. We are looking at a blowout. Um, but you know we didn't play for three weeks and. You saw Tulsa make mistake make mistakes on the on the on that side of the ball too, especially special teams. They they had a muffed a muffed kick just from simply the kicker slipping because it was so wet. Um, so a lot of opportunity. At the end of the day, you know, we they, they got the job done. They did it without without Wiggins on the field. You know, so that's another huge accomplishment now because Tulsa is a great football team. They honestly, I don't think we gave them enough credit. We kind of just shrugged them off. I mean, I did guarantee us an undefeated season. You know, a few weeks ago. Um, you did. I did you not did. put stock in Tulsa though. Tulsa was good. Uh, player was just freaking an animal just, just in our backfield all afternoon. Um, so it was good. It's a good quality opponent. And it, I think it's true. It, it speaks to the strength of the conference that we had a quality opponent in Tulsa, you know, meet us in this game. Yeah. I was impressed with how hard the Tulsa defense consistently hit. I mean, the, the, some of the hits Des Ritter took in the second half had me cringing, had me, you know, wishing him well. I wanted to run to the stadium and, and wrap my arms around him to protect him from, from such awful, mean bullies that were the Tulsa defense. But um, he made it through unscathed. He, he got through the game, finished that final drive. Um, and, and the fact is, yeah, it was, it was a, a really strong performance from Tulsa. They certainly were a worthy adversary. It did appear to me that the Bearcats were a team that were coming off of a three-week layoff. You know, some of the mistakes being made were uncharacteristic for what we had seen over the last six games or so from the Bearcats. You know, early in the season, there were some turnover challenges. Penalties were flying a little bit more frequently in this game. um, And and that was more of the same in this game. It just was, it was a bit unexpected. 
Uh, but at the same time, when you when you take a step back and really think about it and think about what a three a three week layoff is, the lack of practice time, guys off the field, you know, it makes sense. And so I, it's more of kudos to the Bearcats for getting through it, overcoming the adversity, and and winning the championship. So let me ask you a question about how you were feeling uh, when we get to the fourth quarter. We're, uh, we're, we're charging down the field. Uh, the minute left on the clock, and it's fourth down again. Were you wanting to see a field goal or were you, I mean, obviously we know, we know what the result was, but what, what were your thoughts in the moment when you say, Holy cow, we're going for it again. So are you talking about the final drive when, so this is after we had been stopped on fourth down, after we had a field goal blocked final drive, we're moving down the field and it gets to what fourth and two and it goes to timeout. And we kind of assume, I think I sent a message on Twitter about, uh, everything's fine. This is a super casual, not important field goal at all. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And sure enough, they do. They trot the offense back on the field. And at that point you realize, Oh, okay. They're going to try and lure Tulsa's defense off sides and get a free first down out of this. And Tulsa bit, they fell for it. I, I was stunned. That was the kind of fortune that I'm not accustomed to as a Cincinnati Bearcats fan, no matter what the sport um, I was, I was happy in hindsight they did it because there really wasn't a lot of risk there. I mean, you're, it didn't seem like they they were ever really intending on doing it. Let's see if we can get them to bite. Let's see if we get the free five yards. And sure enough, Tulsa fell for it. I'm sure they are kicking themselves over that because a few extra yards on a on a field goal from a from a kicker that's mostly an unknown commodity that is not a an aspect of our game that we have needed this season. You know, there was the one matchup at central Florida, when he, when he came in, knocked three field goals down, but all in all, we have not really needed our kicker to, to show out this season. And, and Smith stepped up to the plate, knocked it down. The rest is history. Yeah. I was at first, you know, because we had the turnover on downs, we had the fourth, the fourth, and I think it was fourth and two, maybe, um, you know, in the, in the, I think we we're fourth and two, somewhere on the five yard line, maybe eight, you know, 10 yard line, somewhere on there. And we miss, we, uh, player just gets into our backfield, eats eats us alive on a wildcat. Which, not gonna lie, I'm never a fan of of the wildcat. That's just me. Um, other people love it. You well, know, especially if, when if you're gonna Des run Ritter. it, if, if we if have you're Des gonna, Ritter, you don't need wildcat because we have yeah. Des Ritter as our quarterback. But if you're gonna run it, at least call Philly Philly. All right. I was once I saw the play getting broken up, I was so wait, I was so ready to see a little floater into the end zone being caught by Des Ritter. Um, but no, no, you know, we we had to blow up one, then we had the miss punt. Yeah, so it did seem like we were like, oh my God, a lot of things are gonna are not going our way. Because then the very next drive after the missed the blocked field goal, what should have been an interception was a fortuitous 54-yard catch. That's where the bad, the bad feelings, you know, the all the baggage that we carry, that's where we felt it. Where it's wait, we were about to intercept this pass. It was in our hands. And even we drop it and it, it doesn't hit the field. No, we drop it. And it goes right into a Tulsa receiver's arms for a deep completion. I mean, just ludicrous stuff. You can't write a Cincinnati loss any better than that. Uh, but it you did. can it felt, write. It felt like can... an omen. It felt like the devil coming from from down below to remind us that no, you can't have nice things. This is going <laughs> to end poorly for you. 
Uh, but ultimately they came back and the, the football god said, yes, you can have this because on Sunday we're about to deal you a very nasty blow um, because God is not present in the football playoff committee room. That is definitely the work of Satan and his minions <laughs> to distract and to de- deter you from, from being happy as Cincinnati fans. Um, my advice to all of us fans out there, though, enjoy this. You know, get yourself. I'm gonna. I know I'm purchasing one of those little champ hats um, that they had. I'm gonna be get you rocking a shirt, one of those. Get you a hat. Yeah. Get you a mug. This is this is your excuse to go out there and say, "Honey, I have to have it." This is a limited edition run. Next year it'll say 2021. You yeah. know, so it's just it's gonna be different numbers. I'm gonna. It's I'm gonna not need every all year the, you get claims to an American Athletic Championship T-shirt, and this is the first time, and uh, it feels good. It feels really good. So let's actually talk about the elephant, the other elephant in the room, the four hour long ridiculousness that is the playoff committee selection show. Four hours to determine essentially four teams. Um, let's just let's call it 10 teams because you want to know the top 10. Let's call it 25 teams, but it takes them four hours, four hours of a show dedicated to this when they can do the entire 68 uh, team field of the NCAA tournament in a mere 60 minutes. This was just excruciating to watch. Kirk, Herb, Kirk, yeah, Kirk Street was just <laughs> Kirk Street, Herb Street, Herb Street, Herb Kirk. Street, Weird Street, Perb Street. <laughs> Mister, I I'm so flustered right now that I can't get his name right, and frankly, he doesn't deserve to have it right because his takes were just so horrific and off the mark. Ah. Uh, Calling your calling your fellow calling your fellow uh, reporter out or your your fellow host out. Would you? What would you? Would you bet? Would you put him up against Georgia? Would you put him up against Oklahoma? Would you bet? Would you take him to win that game? Yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> Give yeah, us a shot. Emphatically, yes. And emphatically, yes. Curb Street. Look, Derp Street. The the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> the vibe coming from. That college football playoff ranking show set disgusted me. We've we've beat it into the ground how awful the college football playoff committee is, how awful their rankings have been, how corrupt and sinister and devious all of this has been, right? We knew from the get-go that when Iowa State showed up and moved up ahead of the Bearcats, oh, oh, we get it. We see what's happening here. This is the fallback option. This is creating the excuse to pump up Oklahoma when they eventually and inevitably play Iowa State in their conference championship game. We know Oklahoma's going to win that game because, hey, news break, Iowa State's not good. We knew they weren't good. They already lost games to Louisiana on their home field. That team had no business in the top six of the college football playoff. But alas, they did it because it gave them the kicker for sending Oklahoma high up into the rankings just in case we need it. They didn't need it, but just in case we need it, they're going to be there. Uh, I mean, the stat was telling that, you know, there's, there's one team that's two teams, sorry, that are in the top 20 in both offense and defense. And one of them was, you see, the other one is, is Clemson. You know, a pretty elite company to be in this year, um, you know, with, with a great school. And look, as much as I, I think that we deserved a shot to be inside the, in, in the playoffs playoff at the end of the day, the travesty is, is not that we didn't get in. It's the fact that they have a so low that you have a three loss team in Florida, which is clearly 
their AD is bribing someone within the side of the committee. Cause I don't know if you guys know this, but both the, both the athletic director for Oklahoma and um, Florida or one of the 13 committee members uh, who were assigning, assigning rankings here. Um, you know, so I think Florida's given, getting their elbows greased a little bit saying, you know what, Oklahoma, we'll support this plan for Iowa state. We'll put them up there. You do your part, beat Iowa state, and we will support you and make the case that you should be, you know, up there at number six, but you got to do us a solid. You got to keep us, even if we lose to lowly LSU, you got to keep us ahead of Cincinnati. We can't have, we can't have us being below Cincinnati you know, we just can't do it. We got to make sure we're in one of these New Year's Six Bowls too. Um, none of it. None of it's ever going to make sense. That's none of it's I, ever going to make I almost, sense. I almost we get stuck in this death spiral of of trying to make sense of what they're doing, and none of it makes sense because it's not supposed to. It's really just supposed to include and rank the teams that are part of the club. Are you in the cabal or not? As as uh, as our friend Bernard likes to say, are you? It's a cabal, and and it's a club. And it's, it's making sure that the right teams are included and the, and the right teams are left out. We were not part of the club and us UCF was not part of the club and, and uh, coastal Carolina, not part of the club. And you're going to continue to get shafted. That's what's going to happen to you. And you're going to like it. And how about you start your own tournament? Let's have that conversation. Oh my God. Uh, just, just no, we, I'm not saying we face. should, I'm not saying we should, we should not even indulge <laughs> that concept. I'm just saying, that's what they, that's what those are the bones they're going to throw you. Maybe, Here, here's my, maybe you should chat about your own tournament over there. Here's my last part, like my last little like dig on when people talk about the eye test. The next part that they bring up is style points. Oh, you, you well, you didn't beat this team by enough. So you don't get the style points, you know, so it's, it's not going to help. All right. What about negative style points? When a team gets drug, like just dr- completely embarrassed. You score a garbage time touchdown, Notre Dame. Congratulations. Essentially, you lost the game. You scored three real points. You got demolished, embarrassed, but that's not anti. That's not anti uh, style points there. Like at that point, you've just proven that you don't belong in the group of four. You proved it because you just got demolished. So the next team up should get their shot. And that and unfortunately, that team also got demolished by one of the teams in the top four which was Texas A&M and it, so, yeah, style yeah. points and eye test. I'm sick of it. You know what? And even if, even if the BCS rankings don't vindicate us and, you know, they're not going to say the Bearcats are in the top four, whatever, fine. At least it's not looking at the damn eye test. It's taking quantitative numbers and it's putting them in a system an algorithm that spits out who the top teams in the country are. It takes the bias out of it. That's what's bullshit about this whole process is that it's completely biased. And I think that's what people are calling for. That's where the outrage is. And that's where, you know, Derp, Kurt, Derp, Herb, Derp, 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 Derp Street doesn't get. Look, are you concerned? Here's one thing I thought about. If, we're, if we are going to base ourselves on reality, there's no doubt that if we want to retain Luke Fickle long term, um, you know, obviously we signed him to an extension. He seems incredibly happy at the University of Cincinnati. Um, if we want to hang on to him indefinitely, we need to find our way to a new conference, right? I, I don't, I don't see that playing out any differently. Like I, I am more convinced now that the playoff expansion is not the, is not the the windfall that we think it would be. When we started the season, well, we thought playoff expansion would mean guaranteed spot for a for an uh 
a G five team. I don't, I don't, think I could that's see that. Be the case. I, I would, and, I could see that being, being in there as part of the, the agreement. Uh, I definitely think that because that's what everybody keeps talking about. Everybody keeps talking. If you're expanding the playoffs, this is what it's going to be. Six. Why they've kicked us out again and again and again. They don't really care if we have a seat at the table. Why do they need to give us one? It's going to be conference champs from the power conferences. And then it's going to be a couple of high. It'll bids. be the, it'll be the highest ranked group of five and then it'll be the, at, it'll be the at large bids. So it'll be two at larges and then essentially five conference, six conference winners. I'm assuming that the group five one would also have to be a conference winner undefeated. Um, you know, and, and that's, it'll still create some crazy controversies because say this year happens again in a similar fashion and you see in coastal Carolina are right next to each other. Uh, once you know five one six one of them gets left out because they're they're not they don't pass the eye test you know they don't they don't have the eye candy they don't their their brand name is an osu um you know so then they get left out so they're definitely gonna it's not gonna be a perfect system once again but just i'm just i'm just convinced i have no doubt in the back this up just what we hear what people talk about what the system's gonna be what it should be and hopefully that's what it is yeah, well, Cunningham remained quiet throughout the entire process. Um, I asked some folks in the industry about what their opinion was of Cunningham not being more vocal as an advocate, as um, being demonstrably upset about what was happening to the University of Cincinnati in terms of being uh, completely, you know, completely screwed when it came to the playoff rankings. And what they said was, look, there's incentive for the Bearcats to remain in good favor with conferences like the ACC and with conferences like the big 12, which good point. It was a good point. And I, and I appreciated the feedback. I'm still pretty upset that we didn't get more from our AD and that the message from our AD was a gif. I think that was pretty weak all in all, but um, it, it was something to think about. I think those conference realignment questions that are coming down the pike that are, are going to be here sooner than we think there's a chance that ends favorably for us. We've put our sports programs in position to, uh, to certainly be considered. And look, football is the driver of those decisions. Thank God at thankfully, the moment. <laughs> thankfully football <laughs> is the driver of those decisions. Um, Can't believe we'd ever be saying that uh, after the, the, the run of success that we've had in the basketball program. But look, yeah, I know we need, we need to talk about it here for a few minutes. I don't want to put, I don't want to give too much time to what we saw on the court from the basketball team. I think that John Brandon is incredibly lucky that one of the worst performances of the last in this modern century, since the year 2000, what just happened to the Cincinnati Bearcats in Athens, Georgia was one of the worst games and worst, worst performances I've seen. It was uninspired it presented no clear vision in terms of what this team is supposed to be there was no what is our style of play what are we hanging our hat on and the fact that john brandon and these bearcat basketball players were able to play that game as the conference championship is being played in football as the bearcats are fighting for their uh you know their their playoff hopes which isn't really true, but that's in theory, what was happening They're regardless, they're playing for the peach bowl. You know, we know that with a victory, they're going to achieve uh, the new year's new year's day game. And that's, that's a huge monumental moment for the football team. 
the fact that Brandon and the, and the Bearcats basketball team got buried by that football game is such unbelievably well-timed. That's a well-timed break for the bear, for Brandon and the Bearcats. That, that game, what it reminded me of was except that what there was no, this wasn't a collapse, but it reminded me of the last like 12 minutes or whatever it was of the Nevada game of just, you didn't know what to do. Guys just looked out of whack. They looked out of source. They looked overmatched. This team looked like they were running around with their, their head cut off. What they look like is a poorly coached basketball team. They don't look like they have clear leadership or direction on what it is that they need to be doing. We talked about it last game or the last podcast with, with physicality, the culture, it's almost they're lacking identity. They're lacking culture. Uh, and what's, what's a shame is that there is good talent on this roster. Uh, there is, there's some glaring holes in this, in this roster. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to be afraid to just say it, but Chris vote is just been, I'm almost to the point where is he a division, a high level division one basketball player? He's not, but look, Hummer, I'm going to interrupt this conversation. We're going to come right back to it. I'm gonna, let's do a quick hit here. We're getting lucky. Bernard Fox is on the line. Let's bring in Bernard. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I have some thoughts. You have thoughts. Then please share them. Can we just give you a, well, no question, no direction. Just share your thoughts. Let me say this. Uh, a mutiny is afoot. The University of Cincinnati has, has had about $2 million uh, taken out of their bank accounts and deposited in the, uh, the, the accounts of Notre Dame University, which I don't think struggles for money. Um, it's, it's, it's a criminal act. And I, my feelings are hurt by it. Uh, I'm raw emotionally. Um, I'm disappointed in the college football playoff committee. I'm disappointed in myself. I feel like I should have left more uh, out on the field of, uh, of challenging uh, the utter disregard for fairness and justice uh, that is pervasive throughout the sport of college football. I'll take your questions now. What type of, what type, so beautifully said, what type of legal action are you working toward at this point? At this point, all options are open. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to some sort of antitrust claim. Um, I do think it's important to understand the financial component to this because, you know, the, the decision is not one that does not have financial ramifications, which is why I've done everything in my power, gentlemen, everything in my power to try to weaponize uh, my Twitter.com account, and uh, and to uh, spur along University of Cincinnati administration per officials, uh, administrative officials, uh, University of Cincinnati athletics uh, folks, uh, including John Cunningham, um, and and uh, I I think everyone ought to uniformly and uh, and loudly say that this is wrong, that this unchecked aggression will not stand. Uh, and 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 uh, do something about it. I agree with you that there's value in repeating the fact that this is wrong, corrupt, uh, just just factually awful 
you know, to what, what they're doing to the Bearcats football program. There's no defense for it. And so it, there's no reason to not say it out loud, despite how obvious it is, despite how transparent it is. We should keep saying it and we should keep saying it to all those people who are in power. I truly appreciated you kind of, I saw this earlier, you brought out the evil wolf within you. Yes. And I don't, you know, I don't like that wolf. I don't like that part of I my, do though. I, yeah, what I, you did to, what you did to Curb Street, which is what we've been calling him today. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what you did to <laughs> what you did to Curb Street had me in tears. And I'll, I'll just say, please go to B Fox or please go to at Bearcats Radio. Go look at the photo <laughs> that Bernard posted of of Curb Street and the the captions that Der, Derp Street Derp Street as you guys Derp now Street, know them. Absolute tears. <laughs> the this is the kind of this is the kind of uh, action and and aggression that Bearcats fans are going to have to show. You agree? I, I don't disagree. It it, uh, it breaks my heart to have to do that. I, I don't, I, you know, I, occasionally I will see Kurt uh, Derb Street. He'll post videos of his dog. He has beautiful dogs. Uh, I'm a dog lover. I have a, uh, an exotic basset hound myself. I appreciate folks who, who like dogs and I, I guess it's uh, it's frustrating that I now have to point out all the Botox that he shot into his forehead. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I didn't need to do that to feel more human or alive, but he put me, he painted me into a corner and I, I have no options. Uh, I yeah, can't he, even speak. He painted. He definitely paints us into a corner. It's just, it was absurd. We were talking about this earlier, just the, 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 just the smugness that they, that they approached it to. And like, just the the utter disregard for, for accomplishments of the university of uh, Cincinnati football players to say, Oh, it's, it's, it's appalling. It it, it reminded me of uh, once upon a time, the university of Cincinnati was, was on its back. It, It had, sustained several years of inattention at, uh, to its college football program. And, 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 and a younger, uh, even more handsome Luke, although it's, he kind of ages like a fine wine. I agree. I, yeah. There was a photo of the pre- opening press conference compared to what he is now. And he just, George Clooney. It's an anti-Herb Street. I, it's hard to not <laughs> think that that's at play. He, he probably looks at Luke and just thinks, my God, look at this guy. This guy is just, he's going in the right direction and I'm, and I'm Giuliani all over the place. But uh, there, there was a time when the, the program was, was in a tight spot and, uh, and we were heading on the road to face a, a UCLA team that was going to be coached by uh, a, a guy in Chip Kelly, who everyone believed was this guru, this wonk, this offensive wonk who created the juggernaut and built the juggernaut at the University of Oregon. And, and all of the college football authorities, the prognosticators, they all gathered together. They all sang out of the same hymnal and, oh, it's, there's just no chance for this Bearcats team. And they were, they were mocking us. And the rest is history. It is. It is. You know, you're, you're the soothsayer of the Bearcats football program. You, you live and die. You live and breathe this program. You certainly don't. Die. You live and breathe this program. An uh, apothecary of sorts. Yeah, and it's so it's been a remarkable run for you. 
I can't imagine how you're feeling right now. I don't want you to only have to speak to the the atrocities of the college uh, of the college football playoff cabal. Speak to you know what you've seen from Luke Fickle these these four, first four years of his tenure. It's just been it's been remarkable. It, it's you know that first season uh, we went four and eight. Or it was either four and four and eight or four and seven. Um, and we were atrocious. I mean, we were just awful. Um, uh, you know, the locker room was gone. In, in walks this handsome fella from Ohio State. He's, he's got uh, together everyone achieves more as his main slogan. And my, my middle school track slogan as well. Um, and we weren't that good of a track team, I'll be honest with you. And I wasn't very fast. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, he's got that scrawled everywhere. There's tons of slogans. He, uh, he, he spoke in uh, homespun aphorisms that you hear out of every coach's mouth. And I, I just, I, it was like, wow, this, what is this guy doing? Is he insane? And he's not. And, and, you know, he, he, he's become someone that I, as you know, I'm a grown man, a practicing attorney uh, in the city of Cincinnati, a business courier, for goodness sakes named me one of the the 40 under 40 i mean I, i'm a, i'm i'm i don't want to say i'm a huge deal but uh no you're just you're a, you're a, you're, a, you're a mammoth in the industry i i, I appreciate a titan a titan of my industry <laughs> i love that um but i'm someone as a grown man that i look to luke fickle and i think man that guy's got something i don't you know what I'm saying? Like I, when I'm around him, I'm like, boy, does he have it together? Um, and I will tell you, having spent a little bit of time around lots of elected officials and, and coaches and, you know, uh, um, local celebrities and whatnot, um, it, it, many of them I, I found to be uh, uh, horrifically underwhelming. Um, you know, there's a Kurt Vonnegut quote that, that, uh, one of the scariest moments of life is when you realize that the people you went to high school are running the world. But, but, but out of Luke Fickle, I don't feel that, you know, I admire him and he makes me want to be a better person. So in addition to watching him rebuild this program um, from a, a pretty rough state of affairs and, and the way that he has, I mean, that's what, what has boggled my mind about their analysis on these playoff shows is you know on the one hand they'll uh, they'll say things like well you know it's just going to take a while and and you got to have you got to put seasons uh, one after the other we've done that we've had eleven win seasons now for three straight years um, well not this year because we can't could play them but it would have been eleven absolutely would have been eleven so so you've got you know we we have that tailwind of recent history of success. And yet, you know, it, it's not taken into account. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you look at our program and I don't get the sense that Luke's out there looking either. I don't think he's trying to leave. Yeah. I, and I didn't, I didn't even catch that from Marcus Freeman, you know, who, who is, you know, in his 30s um, is, is, you know, is certainly deserving of that Broyles Award. Um, just a a lovely guy and a great uh, tactician and strategist and and also somebody who connects incredibly well with these student athletes. 
and also incredibly you know, handsome. If we're gonna, we're, we've been talking about Luke Fickle's attractiveness. Great looking, great looking dude as well. Very attractive himself. Yeah, great looking man. Just a handsome man. Uh, and, and you know they're co-captains of Team Handsome, and I, I haven't even gotten the sense that Marcus is out there, you know, uh, kicking out his resume. I mean, he's he seems pretty content too. So it's it's wild that we're in the place that we are, and that even in the place that we are, we weren't really able to sniff, uh, you know, that that five or six spot. I mean, that's that's what is, uh, and, and what's nice is. You know, we've had a chip on our shoulder for God knows how long, and it's lovely to see some of the national voices gather together and and begin to champion our cause without us needing to. You know, you've got Pete Tamil out there uh, just kicking up dust. You've got uh, this Chris Fiani guy out there kicking up dust. You've got Pat Forty, who has just been a ride or die soldier for the Bearcats lately. Um, Roger Sherman, yeah. the ringer. We loved his. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you got Stuart Mandel who, who is now crying foul and jumping up and down with us, but early in the season was, uh, brainwashed by the hogwash of unwarranted traditional bias, but now he's come around. He's, he's gotten religion and I like that. We'll accept him. He can come and, and, and be a part of our cult was fine. Open arms, um, open arms open for, for everybody. Anybody on the national landscape who wants to to join the cause, I'd say welcome them. Settle into the warm bath of our uh, fellowship. We want you in. They have Come the on opportunity. They have an opportunity to rewrite the history books. You know, to be on the right side of history for once. All right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Although they are doing everything in their power to not write a history book, right? There's they they don't want to do any sort of writing of a history book. Let's just keep it the way it is. Keep cashing checks. You mentioned you mentioned Luke Fickle not having eyes for other programs, and I get the same sense. You know, it's almost I was shocked when he when he spurned Michigan State. I've seen it all before. I've seen how coaches use this this program as as sort of a a launching pad for future opportunities, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But he, he, he spurned Michigan State. Obviously, they've got a lot of problems in-house over there. But you mentioned the $2 million that they have you know, pickpocketed out of the Bearcats football program's uh, money bag. By, a really anti-Robin really anti Hood situation. Very much so. <laughs> and not only have they, have they taken that money or that potential earnings for the program, but they've also, by, by putting us and letting us finish eighth, in this college football playoff ranking as a team, as a G five team that is doing everything in its power to build up a, a program that can compete at the highest levels to so badly reject us of that opportunity to compete and to prove ourselves. It also damages us in the ability to retain a coach like Luke fickle, right? Like yeah. maybe we get lucky and maybe he's not having eyes elsewhere. Maybe he's here for the long run, but if you have a coach who's as high quality as he is, and you're saying, hey, as long as you're at Cincinnati, you're not going to get a legitimate shot at competing in the playoff. That hurts us on that level, too. A absolutely. It, if you're a recruit out there and you're weighing options, I mean, the thing about a national platform like this is it opens us up to kids who maybe wouldn't have dreamed of playing at the University of Cincinnati. But now they see, hey, what a neat what a neat guy their head coach is that, you know, he seems to vibe with these players. 
Um, they've got great logos and jerseys. They, they have incre an incredible social media presence and they care about helping me build my personal brand. Yeah, there's, there's a world of recruits out there that while we're, we're absolutely slaying locally and, and, and building this Ohio brand, I mean, there, there are recruits in Texas and Florida and California that a national platform would provide for us that now, you know, they're, they're, they're going to just choose one of the traditional powers that is going to be the quickest path to the college football playoff. Um, so it kills us with recruits. It does, it does message to a guy like Luke Fickle. Hey, you can go, you know, trips, 11 win seasons. It's just not enough. You're, you're not going to be able to get over the hump. And, you know, I think next year, and I hate to do this, you know, I hate to, I hate to talk about next year, but we do get, you know, Notre Dame and South Bend and IU and Bloomington. But as soon as we beat the brakes off of IU, their season is going to go belly up. Um, and if we beat Notre Dame on the road, the game is early enough and before conference play that, you know, when that, when that, uh, you know, six and three Oklahoma team suddenly starts to put it together in November, you know, now it's going to be like, well, nobody's playing better than Have Oklahoma. You seen them right lately? Now. They look really good. Yeah, it's like, golly. Yeah, they look great against a really crappy Iowa State team that lost to Louisiana. Yeah, they they, they look great now this time this time of the year. But by the way, has have with teams that are playing really well right now, has that ever mattered less when you consider how many teams are pulling out of bowl games? How many teams who aren't very good that are just basically completely like checked out of the season? How how easy is it for a team to just be mentally disengaged at this point, knowing how difficult yeah. the season has been in just, just in terms of managing COVID. So what yeah. you're doing lately means oh, should mean less than ever. A&M beat a, a Tennessee team that was hobbled that didn't care that the season was over. Now, of course they snuck into a bowl game because uh, the world is completely not right. But um, yeah, it, yeah, you've got, You've got these teams that are racking up wins against programs that are reeling and dealing with COVID problems or that know that their season has long sailed away. Uh, yeah, Florida couldn't put away an LSU team that, you know, was was clearly not competing for anything. You know, you look at, you know, UCF when UCF played uh, in 2017 and they played LSU in the Peach Bowl and they rolled them. Um, was it the? Am I right about that? Was that the Peach Bowl? Uh, I don't know if I can't. I don't know the bowl games that well, so I would assume it was, no, it's it was the Peach Bowl. But I remember the game. It was, it was, it was Auburn. It was Auburn. Auburn. So they roll Auburn. Everybody's like, "Well, they were disengaged." It's like, well, you know, that's LSU that's part was, of the game. That's part of that. That's what they'll say to yeah. us if we once we toast Georgia, right? Um, oh, right. Guys sitting out, they don't they don't care. Which is yeah. which? Which at the same time is like a it's a it's a disingenuous disingenuous excuse to say that Georgia doesn't care. Like these are, these are competitors. You know, no. the, like the men, the mentality we've discussed this, the mentality of college football coaches is insanity. You know, yeah. you, you, you don't get to that level without being one insane motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. You and, think Kirby smart doesn't want to win in, in the Georgia dome. Exactly. Yeah. And those kids too, you don't think they want to play and that they, they don't want to, they don't, they don't want to win. Hell, if anything, they want to win more because they don't want to be embarrassed by losing to a lowly group of five school. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it's it's insanity. And what is frustrating is like, man, this has been such a crappy year for everyone, right? It, it, it may be no worse for these student athletes who have, I mean, you're first off, if you're an upperclassman, you, college is a blast. Okay. I'm just going to say that. Let me just say college is fun. Confirm. All right. Quote me. <laughs> and, there is truth to that. <laughs> and you've got these upperclassmen who are missing out on, you know, some of the funnest years of their college experience. And, and they're dealing with, coaches like Luke who demand excellence, precision, and perfection every day from them. Uh, they're going to online school. Uh, you know, they're, they're at, they're at Hogwarts, they're in zoom Academy <laughs> and, 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 you know, meantime, they're trying to balance, you know, being away from their families, being isolated, secluded, all the ordinary stuff, you know, but probably girlfriends are dumping these guys, you know, probably, probably, but now, yeah. I mean, now they're probably coming back, right? After yeah, I would think after that, becoming right. no, this, champions. You had the you had the turkey drop. You know, you always you always drink <laughs> up right before Thanksgiving. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, so is this puffing season? <laughs> yeah, this, I would think right before the holidays has got to be peak cuffing season. Absolutely. You try you, you know you're trying to get gifts, trying to get presents, um, trying to stay warm. Just generally stay warm. Anyhow, um, <laughs> but this has been an awful year. These guys are out there, you know, playing their guts out and risking their health. And somehow, you know, you got that, – that's what just drove me over the top today uh, is you got a guy like, uh, you know, Derb Street who is just – you know, he and <laughs> – he and what's that other uh, jack-o'-lantern that sits up there with him? From Palmer the Pollock. Pollock. Yeah, he's got he he and Pollock all but chest bumped on how bad they thought the University of Cincinnati was by comparison to Oklahoma. I mean, they were it was just like I was waiting on them just to like hug and start kissing each other on the cheek. It was like the most offensive and over the top smugness. And then you know Jesse Palmer's up there with his 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 manscara and guy liner, and and he you know he's trying to somehow uh, you know continue to capitalize off his experience on the Bachelor or Bachelorette or whatever awful show he was on. Um, and they're you know they couldn't be more biased. They couldn't be more closed minded. And I've seen there was a a tweet from what's that guy that works for CBS who's just been ride or die lately. Um, Parish. No. Oh, on the football side? Yeah. Yeah, I have to look it up. up. I called him out. He's he's in my wolf pack. Tim Brando. Oh, yes. Tim, he's Tim Fox. Brando. He's on Fox. Okay. Tim Brando's fantastic. Love what he's been doing lately. He's one he, older guy, so he's not proofreading his tweets. So don't you can't you gotta it's, it's not Dick Vital bad. Go but look at Bob Ryan's Twitter if you want to look at old tweets. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tweeting but about old. Definitely not a copyright or a copy editor nearby, right? Nobody's running through these things. But he's been really on him. And he, he said that those guys are muzzled. So, you know, either they're muzzled and they're just singing the, you know, the, they're, they're towing the company line um, or they're just absolutely closed-minded. 
Well, they don't seem muzzled though, right? What Herb Street and Pollock and Palmer are doing seem less muzzled, especially Herb Street, Derb Street, Third Street, and uh, Pollock is is the way that they were kind of cackling, smirking, chuckling at the idea of daring to think Cincinnati might actually beat a team like Texas A&M or Oklahoma. (laughs) Right? They they were not muzzled. They were they were giddy at the age. Would allow this? (laughs) (laughs) It was. It was over the top. And then Jim Mora, um, who, who was not a good coach, okay? Yeah. Might look great in a suit at his age, but not a great coach. Um, you know, Jim Mora is out there. He says, you know, I've been on the sidelines at the University of Cincinnati, and I've got a trained eye. And I've been on the sidelines at, at Oklahoma and Florida. And I can tell you, it's just there. there's a different caliber athlete. And I, I just want to be like, what are you talking about? Like that is the dumbest, craziest, uh, most aloof sorts of like thing you could say. Uh, especially if you look at our roster and you okay, so do the math, right? How tall are our linemen? How much do they weigh on average? I would hazard a guess that almost all of them are pretty competitive when it comes to size. You look at all the 40 times of our skill position guys, pretty competitive. There's no, there's no way in the world you could get away with, you know, if, if, if you were blind taste testing the rosters, they're the same. But there's not really any precedent for Bearcats going on to the NFL and being great players either. Right. Like I don't, I can't think of a Bearcat tight end being, no. I can't think of any, any Bearcat offensive lineman hitting and winning a Super Bowl. Nope. Um, no precedent for defensive ends who, who, you know, rack up massive sack numbers or converted, mm-hmm. you know, converted outside linebackers who go on to, comp- to play at a high level in the playoffs. If we had more examples of those kind of players, right. maybe, maybe he's taking a different tone. I think you're right. Yeah. And that's a shame. It's a shame that we've not performed and that we haven't put so many tight ends into the league. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Well, Bernard, it's, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I'm really glad to see you popped on here with us. Uh, as always, I can't keep myself together when I get to hear your, your voice. Thank you. Words that come out of it. Out Thank of you. I, 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 I wanted to ask you though, you, you, wanna... mentioned, you mentioned the national media and how, and how you're, you're, they're rallying behind the Bearcats. They're hopping on the bandwagon. They're channeling their inner evil wolf. So what's happening? How, how do you feel about what we got from the athletic director of the Bearcats, Cunningham, John Cunningham? Was it enough? Because I, I didn't see much. And, and, and I'll admit it, I got, I got a little upset over the, the gif, the gif we saw that night, uh, because it felt a lot like something I would do, right? Like, uh, I'm going to yes. rip off, fire off a clever gif as to how upset I am over these rankings. Well, he should be taking a different tone or maybe a different tact in terms of expressing his, his disagreement with the committee. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, good grief. Yes. Um, it's hard to say I would do this because, um, I haven't been an athletic director, but I, I can say this is a new athletic director. And if there's one thing that he ought to know about this, the tribe of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats faithful, 
it is that loyalty is very, very important. Um, and the, I just want him to stand up for us. You know, if I was the athletic director, uh, there is no, there is no church. I wouldn't go preach this sermon at, uh, there is no media gathering. I wouldn't stand in front of a ton of microphones to speak to, uh, there is no limit to what I would do in order to try to message that if, if you, the committee continue to do this, uh, I am going to go out of my way to try to ruin your lives and careers. Maybe harsh. Okay. Maybe a bit of overreaction. <laughs> harsh, but necessary. Oh, harsh, but fair. And I really feel like it's, uh, it's disappointing it, that there isn't a little bit of a killer instinct um, coming from that. I get that you've got to be a professional. Um, but I can tell you knowing some of the, the large donors at the university of Cincinnati, um, there, there's some fire there and I, I, they're as mad as we are, if not more. And they, they are pissed off and they want somebody to be their voice. And, and why not him? You know, we've got a president, um, who is a lovely, accomplished academic, uh, but who does not appear to be, um, does not have Santa Ono's affection for competitive sports. And that's okay. Um, he, he doesn't have to be that to be our president. Um, but that's why we have an athletic director. Somebody's got to be out there championing our cause to the national media. Um, your coach shouldn't have to do it. It shouldn't be your coach. It actually should not be your coach. They shouldn't be the ones who have to hit the microphone. They should be all about what's happening at the team level. Yes. It should be your athletic director and it should be uh, your conference commissioner. Those, those, those two people ought to be nonstop badgering this committee. Um, did, did I miss the, it though? Like, has Cunningham done any of this? Cause I haven't seen anything and I checked back last week for some, I, I just haven't seen anything. That's correct. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, <laughs> there has, and I, it's hard to imagine him doing something confrontational or, or challenging this and it escaping our review. I mean, if he right. is saying things, boy, is it a, a real cagey way of going about it. <laughs> Uh, let's not hide our light under a bushel here, uh, Mr. Cunningham, and let's get out there and 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 torch the committee because um, that's what they deserve for how terrible they've treated us and 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 other programs like IU. Yeah, I mean, think of your IU this year. You know, the Big Ten has really just said, "Hey, look, great year, guys," uh, but we've got this Cadillac brand that we care about, and you're a Chevy Cobalt. And so we're going to just shuffle you over here, put this Cadillac brand in our conference championship game and good luck. Have fun in the Outback Bowl. Yep. I mean, awful what they did to the, the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, so, I, I, yeah, things, things are fr- I, I wish there was more of a presence from our athletic director right now. And I think, you know, there's a piece of this where, he is relatively new on the job. He he doesn't have a. I mean, can you imagine if Mike Bone was still our athletic director right now? Oh my lord! I I, I mean, <laughs> there would be. Uh, I, I might actually be embarrassed by what he's saying. 
because he's so over the top. And I, and I, but I like that. I want There's that. A, I want that. I want, I want, I want him to say things that, that he's got to walk back a little bit. Because if ever there was a time where, you know, it, it, it's warranted, it's now. It would be hard to go over the top right now. That it would be difficult <laughs> yeah. to go over the top. Try it. Uh, Just try and go over the top, Cunningham. Please. Yes. Show See if us. you can do it. Get See if you can. And if you if you can't, I'll throw in uh, your defense for free. I'll, I will. I will help you walk this back. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, we'll get out of this defamation claim. Okay. <laughs> we can do this. Um, yeah. I, at the end of the day, the where the where we're at as a university and a program, we're not in a position where we can just sit back and be reactive to these types of situations. You know, we have to be proactive. He has to be more involved. You know, honestly, I just want to see him get the Kelsey brothers together, bring them into Cincinnati, get them some, let them party with the team with the AAC championship trophy. And, and get them to do some fiery speeches. You know, we know we're from Cincinnati and then no one on the committee likes us. I like it. Well, I yeah. actually, I saw someone like tweet at Kelsey, you know, we need someone to speak up for us. And I thought that's what our athletic director is supposed to be for. Yeah. Our former players don't need to be the ones who are beating the drum. How about the guy whose job it is? Yeah. I mean, think about it like this. All right, so Luke Fickle, very understated dude, does not like to feel like he's politicking. I did love how how he big dogged uh, Derb Streets today. That was fantastic. I missed uh, that. What did he do? So he just basically, uh, he, he it was all about Joey. He said they okay. they said we you know we would love to have you back on, Coach. And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be back on with you, Reese and, and Joey. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, you know, it's kind of clear what, very what good. he was saying. Very good. If, if, if Luke Fickle was our athletic director, I would not, I would not need to, to spur him on to challenge this or, or, you know, he's not even like, that's not in his demeanor to get out there and give speeches or whatever, but because it's a component of his job, he would, right. He would take the platform and he, and he would use it because that's that's what's called for under these circumstances. Um, so he, I guarantee you, he's frustrated. He hasn't said that to me, but I know he is. Last I mean, question. Just, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a chance to give us one word that would summarize your feelings on the Bearcats basketball team right now. <laughs> you only give them one word. <laughs> You know, that's actually, I should be doing the opposite with you, but I want to see. Oh, did, yeah. gross! Did you go with gross? gross. It's yeah, it's gr- it's appalling. Maybe. Okay. Sounds um, about right. Have you guys talked hoops already? We actually were just getting into it, and the joke was that as you were calling in, uh, Hummer was letting off the a, a diatribe about Chris Boat and and what we were seeing, and and I've always tried to tell Hummer my my qualms are not so much with Chris Vote; it's the usage of Chris Vote. It's why the new head basketball coach at Cincinnati has decided that he is someone that we should be playing as many minutes as humanly possible. Uh, when before that he was the backup center at Northern Kentucky university. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, uh, there's so many things that appear to be wrong with the team um, that it's hard to, it, one word is not enough. Um, 
this isn't a tough team. I don't know where that went. Here, here's Mick Cronin was a high floor, lowish ceiling coach. We knew that that no matter what, um, year in and year out, he was going to put a team out there that was going to win, you know, 20 to 25 games, make the NCAA tournament, and compete for a conference championship. Um, we also knew that Mick had some limitations. And um, part of it was unknown. You know, it's possible that he could have gotten over the top in the tournament, uh, but it, it, he certainly put a lot of tape out there that suggested that he was never going to be that guy uh, at Cincinnati. Correct. So you look at him stepping away. I think what uh, John Brandon, I think, is losing folks pretty quickly. I think he's in danger of losing a locker room in year two. Year one didn't go super well, right? He effectively nerfed Jaron Cumberland um, in his senior season. Who was to blame in that? I don't know, right? I mean, I'm sure some of it was, you know, Jaron um, having yep. a rough attitude maybe with with coach. Sure, but we we talked about it several times that there was the, com- the communication around Jaron Cumberland was terrible last year because it was – what we were what we were led to do is figure out ourselves what was actually going on. There was so little said and so little guidance given to us with respect to what what was happening with Jaron. Jaron, that rumors were running rampant. People started questioning his desire to even be with the team, and that's super unfortunate because Jaron was an all time performer as a Cincinnati Bearcat. I mean, returning conference player of the year. Right. I mean, there there is as a coach. When you step into a kid like that, the only thing that would cause that to to go poorly is injuries, which may have figured in, um, and you you stubbornly picking petty bat- battles in in a player's last season, and I and that I think is what I I was a little concerned about. I think the same thing uh, is happening to Keith. Uh, I think Keith has tremendous upside. Um, and I think that he's he's been effectively nerfed. Keith is someone, that, you know, Jaron. One of the things that bothered me about Mick is that um, in every single game, Mick it felt like Mick was more involved in the possession than each player was. Right? It felt like he was orchestrating every bounce, yes. and 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 he could at times get so emotionally caught up in the game that it would blind him. Um, and I, I remember when we were playing Xavier uh, that last year, I think, yeah, I think that's right. And um, Jaron got hot and, and Mick it, during, while somebody was shooting a free throw, um, Mick waved Jaron over and Jaron, you know, did in classic Jaron form, you know, kind of his head, rolling around slow jog thing right and mick absolutely ripped his ass up one side down the other all right and jaron at that point in the game had hit several shots in a row and from that point forward jaron was a he was a a head case and he, he couldn't hit anything keith is keith is also a very emotional kid right i mean he's he's a, a incredible upside very talented athletically 
there's more to coaching than and here I'm, I'm not Bobby Knight here. Okay. But it's been my experience that there is more to coaching than X's and O's that players are not willing to crawl atop broken glass for the smartest guy in the room. There has to be a, a relationship that causes, you know, a, a level of trust and buy-in that then generates people willing to put it all out there for you. And sometimes you can get that, I think, as a coach by, by screaming and by, uh, by being a monster on, this, on, the, you know, on the court. Sometimes I think you can get it by, by being, you know, by having a friendship and relationship with these guys, a mentorship that they trust you and they buy in, right? I mean, there is no question that the guys that play for Luke Fickle would lay down in traffic for him. And while early on he was he was the guy screaming at him at the top of his lungs nonstop, he's not that anymore. I mean, he will from time to time, but he's more apt to like humiliate his position coaches by yelling at them and saying that they're not they're they're walking around on the field which is then causing the players to you know to mail it in so he's more apt to do that than he is to to be that guy so he's he's gotten to a place where he laid down the law early on laid out the expectations but it's now you know there's now a with the transfer portal being what it is lucas said in at, at times informally to me with that being the way it is, it's it, you can't get out there and be the guy who's constantly berating players or whatever, because kids will just they'll bounce. And if they don't come from a good, you know, background or whatever, um, or they just decide that you're too much to deal with, they'll leave. And so Brandon, I think, is um, he's not the warmest cat I've ever interacted with uh, a bit. You know, he, he appears to have a wonkish consultant's level insight into the game, but that doesn't mean anything. Like, again, people will not, you know, play their guts out on the court for the smartest guy in the room. There's got to be, there's something that's missing right now that isn't there. I don't know. It's hard to put your finger on it, um, but it's cultural. It's a feel thing. Um more than it is necessarily an X's and O's thing. Right. And talking about the game, I mean, we, we said before going on was we don't have to really talk about numbers. There's not numbers to talk about with the team. There's no metrics or stats to look at that's going to give us insight into what we're seeing on the court because last that game against Georgia, if you watch the game, and it was hard for some people to watch because of football happening at the same time, there was just no competitive fire. There's no direction. There's no there's no clear leadership on the team. It, it's hard to say what exactly John Brandon wants this team to be. We see lineup changes. We see different combinations. We see dismissiveness about certain guys leaving the program or taking a year off at this point. Um, you know, he talks about the game, the way he talks about the game, it gets you excited, right? It was a modern style of basketball up tempo, emphasizing the right style of shots. And the more you think about it and look back on those comments, he's speaking about the game almost as if he's a general manager. If you're talking about like an NBA team, not as much of a coach, the coach is someone who's has to be the intermediary between what's happening analytically 
and what's happening on the court and how you're getting guys revved up to play. That part, that second part, the intangibles, revving guys up to play, inspiring them is completely lacking at this point. Well, and that I think that's what's been so frustrating. It's like this isn't computer software that you just turn it on and it runs. Like early on, you know, there was all this talk and people were defending the lack of results on the court and Jaron's injured. And, and then there was just this constant refrain of it's a system, you know, John's installing his system and it's a halfway installed. And when the system's fully installed, you'll see the results that they had at NKU. And it's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no transitive relationship of success from program to program. Ask Butch Jones, like every, every uh, university gym it's a separate bundle of sticks it's 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 on different soil it's got a different culture a different vibe different everything and if if it's the system should be fully installed we've had we've had plenty of time to install the system so that that whole system argument doesn't make sense one of the things that's been a little bit and it's hard not to talk about him without comparing him to the previous coach. Um, one of the things that's been difficult is, um, you know, you, you, uh, every single talented coach that I've ever watched coach the game of basketball. Um, they yell most of the game. I, I mean, they do. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Absolutely. They, they start the sidelines and they're screaming nonstop. Occasionally, they're flat ass jumping up and down and throwing their sports coat over chairs, right? Kelvin Sampson, he yes. loses the sports coat every time. He's a heck of a basketball coach, right? Right. Uh, so much so you don't even know who they're who they're yelling at at any point in the game. Are they yelling at their own players, referees, <laughs> yeah. fans yeah. in the stands? You have no idea, but they are yelling. They are they are gesticulating all over the place. That's happening. <laughs> yes, if you're Tom Crean, you're clapping, right? Just pacing and <laughs> clapping. Yes. I don't know what the clapper. Doing. Um, but yeah, every, you know, if you're, if you are coach K who has a reputation for being a pretty cerebral coach, watch him. Yes. The guy almost has a heart attack each game. He has fallen out because of his heart issues, right? Like if, if you want to coach, Look at Mick, level, he almost had an aneurysm. He missed the end of a season. Right. Yes. These are not healthy people. Yeah, these are not healthy people. We, we don't want someone who's healthy on our sidelines, right? We want someone who is a wild man. Jerry Tar Tarkanian used to chew his towel the whole game to calm himself, to soothe. He was trying to self-soothe. That's how much he cared, okay? Yep. And and the the concept of this is a system and the, co you know, there's that picture from last year and, and with Justin Williams's article, we got more color as to what his family, yes, as to what his family was dealing with at the time. But you see him seated there with his hands over his face, watching his system, you know, uh, just poorly installed, executed. I, I don't know. You see that, and it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating, and I see. I continue to see that that what what appears to be a whole lot of delegation to the to the kids on the court, and that's fine. But again. Unless it's an NBA team, every successful college coach is fully invested for the full 40 minutes. They're yelling, they're stomping. Has has he gotten a technical foul yet? 
He he got a couple last year. We we applauded him for for doing it finally. <laughs> okay. Uh, when we had that stretch of games where the officiating was just god awful. Against uh, Memphis, he got one against Memphis. Memphis. And, yeah. Uh, was, right. Yeah. For for Jaron with Jaron, I think uh, there was an atrocious foul call, probably by Teddy V at Memphis. They ended up you know finishing us out after that, but it was I. That's a vivid memory of one of the few, maybe only technicals John Brandon has had as a Bearcat coach. And I try and stay off the, get a T, come on coach, get a T. But it does, I think it's more about engage, be engaged on the court, show some level of, of confidence to the, to the guys that you, you have the answer. I, some of the body language stuff, if we're going to be body language doctors is concerning, right? It, the picture yep. from the Justin Williams article, um, hands over face it just it, it gives off the the image of i'm not i don't have the answers i'm not sure what to do at this point and the post-game comments don't give us any additional inspiration at this point uh, his, or, or certainty that the that he has the answers his affect is he he's uh andy dufresne the first five years at shawshank that's the affect right it's like like maybe there's maybe there's a brilliant guy who can run numbers in, in the head in his head but i don't see it you know and unless some kindly kindly uh red like figure can warm him you know it, I, i'm i'm genuinely concerned we got boat raced by georgia um, they're not good it's not a good it's not a good basketball team georgia that's not a team that should be boat racing you on their home court with here's their a question if he's if John Brandon's not at the helm with this roster, would you be concerned if 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 our old coach who who you know left us, if he's if Mick Cronin has this roster, are you concerned? Mm. You mean with like the same results? We're two and four. Or? No. If if oh, just giving this, him this roster, are we concerned yes. about it? No. No, uh, no, I'm not. And that's why <laughs> talent can't be an excuse on this. I, I have some qualms with how we're managing different rotations and who we're putting together on the court. And why is our, you know, beacon of light freshman not starting all of a sudden when he's probably the one bright spot from this short season so far. Um, you, but again, this, is a, this talent is good enough. This, this is not a two and four team. And that's why we should yeah. all be very concerned about the start. This team has had, frankly, I heard it from everybody after the Xavier game. We scheduled them too early. It was a scheduling mistake. Why are we playing them in the second game of the season? This game against Georgia was our sixth game of the season. That was the number of games. That was the the, the game at which Xavier played UC and beat us, you know, in a, in a closely contested game. But in our sixth game of the season, we just got blown off the court by Georgia. Yeah. And, and again, the system thing, and we're playing Xavier too early, like, no, like everybody, everybody's playing games. Basketball is not a sport where it should take an elite team a while to settle into a season. It does. If you're John Calipari and you reset every year. Okay. He's maybe the, now he's having the worst year of his career, but you know, if you're Kentucky and you reload with a fresh roster every season, I get it. Yeah. It's going to take 10, 10 games. This team has been together for a little bit. Yeah. They've got some younger guys, yeah, they've got transfers, but they've also got a good, you know, stable base of the Keith Williams of uh, of the world who are, and, and goodness, you know, Vote certainly knows the system. 
Um, but that's everybody. It's basketball. I think, I think what you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. This isn't football. This is not play one game a week, scheme your opponent, figure out what tweaks you're making to how you're playing the sport. Like this is basketball. It's free flowing. There are some minor adjustments you can make, but John Brandon is intent on playing a certain style of basketball. And after that Georgia game, I, I made a point to listen to the post-game comments. And there was a question Kevin Johnson asked him about Keith Williams foul problems and how are we going to keep him on the court? And he made a comment saying, well, with our aggressive style of defense, a <laughs> symptom of that is fouling. And I thought, there are so many problems with that little statement right there. Can, um, can you envision a world? I mean, Mick would probably be in the hospital being treated for his second aneurysm if he had a seven-footer who recorded as few rebounds as Vogt did. Right. There's just no way. I mean, I, I, I can't envision a scenario where rap would see the court on a Mick Cronin team. You, you, there is a minimum level of defense that is, it's not out there. It's not out there. We're not, we don't rebound with any toughness except for Tari, who is, uh, who I'm concerned is being taught a lesson by the coach like Jaron was, like Keith is. Um, and, and that's all speculation, but well, it, but that's, that's okay something. to speculate, but there's something happening. That was the one, the choice you made after a South Florida loss was to go back to the Rapolis and vote lineup, the, the front court. So your change was, it's almost as if this is what that's going to fix our problems is going to Tari off the bench. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't get it in the slightest. Now vote did only play 19 minutes in against Georgia. Yes. Um, he had, a, so, he had a, a 27 offensive rating in that game. It was a disastrous game for him. And it, it's, it's only gotten worse. So every game, the performances are getting worse. The team is going in the wrong direction. There's not a, I don't have confidence at this point. I don't really see or know what the fix is because I don't think it's changing lineups. I don't think it, there are no, there are no new player solutions. It's really no. about, can the coach figure out a way to get through to the team to compete harder, to execute better, and, and to be more dialed in on a possession by possession basis. And we have no proof that he can. About, I'm concerned about Zach Harvey. Uh, he maybe more than anyone else. I mean, I'm concerned about how Jaron, the Jaron experience went. I mean, Jaron, I don't know if you saw, he had a post in an Instagram story where he said that, you know, what, what's different. And clearly he's calling his old, his former coach out. I am frankly stunned it's taken him this long <laughs> to say something after how rough of a year he had last year um, in a bizarre pandemic shortened season that really cost him opportunities. Guy went from, um, you know, sniffing a G League opportunity to just being in a weird spot now. Um, but I'm concerned about how Keith Keith's season is going. Uh, it appears as though, like in the um, in the USF game, you can tell when a player um, is doing it for themselves because they're pissed off, and that's what was happening. Keith turned it on in that second half because he was pissed off. He had had it with how poorly the team was performing and executing, 
and he just took it upon himself that anytime the ball touched his hands, he took it, right? I'm shooting a three. I'm taking it to the rack. I'm going to lead us out of this. And I remember as I'm watching that game, it, there's a timeout and I'm thinking if I was the coach and I had a kid like that, who was as hot as Keith Williams was, I would say, Keith, you just sit down there. Don't listen to anything I'm saying. Just stare off. You know, you're going to go back in, keep whatever, whatever is going on inside your head. I, I don't want to disturb it. I, I like it, you know, and I would have almost been like, you know, Keith, get some, get some fluids and you can actually just go stand on the court and just kind of look around. Um, we'll, we'll be, you know, these, and I would tell the other four, I don't care what the hell you have to do. Get the ball to that guy who's standing on the court, staring around. Right. Uh, because he's hotter uh, than a, a fox in a, a forest fire here, and we got to get him the ball as much as possible. Um, but I, I, I'm worried about how Keith's year is going. These guys don't know how to lose. Um, they have never, you know, they, they've not been two and four. They, they don't know what it's like to to be on a, the underside of a lopsided defeat. Um, and losing is contagious and it, it can be hard to get rid of. Um, and it can be hard to turn it around psychologically, maybe more than anything. And so then I look at a guy like Zach Harvey, who um, I just feel like he's underutilized. I don't know if it's the system. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, my eye test, the B Fox eye test is you know, last season when they needed an elite defender to shut somebody down and and he was chosen, he could shut people down. He has the length and the athleticism, uh, the raw athleticism to be that guy. He's he's he, he could be an incredible player in the right system. And right now, he's not that. He is he looks rough. It looks like he's being um Poorly coached. Yeah, right now um, there's probably one player on the team that you can say is legitimately playing. If they were on the roster last season or they played college basketball last season, are they having a better year than they did last? That one player is Jeremiah Davenport. It's yeah. it's 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 come and go. There's still some flaws out there. There's still turnover challenges. But when you have a coach admitting that the style of defense he plays, which has not been an effective style of defense so far this season leads to fouls. The team's best players consistently struggling with foul problems. And we, and we're just continuing to, to make them play this way where <laughs> we need, we need adjustments. There have to be changes. If the systems you've, you've installed have resulted in players game in game out, fouling out, turning the ball over and not scoring. Well, we just, ha you have to do something different. What, what are you doing? Uh, What's next? Our defense, we're a reach in team. We're going <laughs> to, we're going yeah. to reach in. I mean, it's kind of like it, our, our fouls um, against, you know, Keith's foul trouble against USF. Uh, it, it, there was one play where he, he didn't get a, you know, he took a shot, missed it, didn't get the rebound. And then he did what a lot of people do when they get emotionally over their skis. He like, you know, reached in and, and was a very clear, dumb foul. And I didn't see a level of irritation and irateness that I, I think was appropriate there. You know? Yeah. 
and, and I don't know if it, it wasn't displayed because there's not a level of trust that Brandon just knows like this guy hates me. And so if I jump all over him right now, it's going to, we're going to, I'm going to lose him even more this game. Um, but, you know, when you look at what could happen, um, this was not a rebuild. We, we, we did not need a coach to rebuild us. We were built. We, we did have a lot of guys leave. But if you look at where those guys landed, it's clear that they weren't, you know, with all due respect, they, they, they weren't guys who were, you know, none of them matriculated to any of the traditional power basketball programs. They all went to small mid-majors. So, so these guys weren't necessarily elite. So it, you, you don't have the excuse that oh, we had a mass exodus of talent and um, just scraping the bottom of the barrel. We did not need a full rebuild. We had a high floor. He was, handed, he was handed a program that was already a diamond. Yes. He just needed to polish it, get it in a place where, you know, there was an opportunity for us to make it to the tournament, just goose the offense, just goose the offense enough that would allow us to compete beyond the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. That's all we wanted. And instead, we've lost our entire defensive ethos. We're no longer tough. Um, and we don't and have a good offense to boot, right? That was the trade-off, was yes. it, we're going to sacrifice some level of defense. He claimed we weren't. He still he said I wasn't getting enough credit as a defensive coach, but we have not received any sort of improvement offensively in, in exchange for sacrificing defensively. So it's... It's, why isn't Gabe? Why isn't Gabe Madsen ever getting in? Is he? Is he? Is he well, not good? Well, we're led to believe that it's. Uh, he's not ready to. To he's not up to the challenge defensively yet. <laughs> what? In rap is. One thing I said. I, I'm curious what you think about this. I, I said this to Hummer recently. I use Chris Vote as the example, but Rapalis, you could say the same thing so far this season. They have very long leashes compared yes. to to what Mamadou Diara had. You know, I, I am one, I am the leader of the Mamadou Diara fan club. I thought he should have come in as the starting center. Like I see it didn't matter what his stats were. The team played better when he was on the court. And so I yep. just, that's what, that's what I hung my hat on. He's but, a diet Justin Jackson. Yes. Yes. Very diet, but it's, but, but a Justin Jackson nonetheless. And instead of fostering his strengths and, and leaning into those, and he's a great defender. He's active. He's athletic. He got seven and a half minutes a game, and then it was described as not earth-shattering to lose him. And instead, we've got to run out two slow-footed, subpar defensive centers, and it's making the team – it completely destroys your ability to defend if you have no rim protection. Um, Correct. If, if just, I had this team, I would go, I would go Tari and four guards. Yes. Uh, our guard play is, you know, we have that. We have athletic slashers. That's where we could be good. If, we, if we're going to have a strength this season, it's going to be in our backcourt and our wings and our length and our athleticism. It's yep. not going to be Rapalis and Vote. That's not going to be a strength. It's going to be a weakness this season. We have to find a way to, to, to game plan around it because they have to play. They, they, are, they are two live active bodies who can do things in spurts that are good for the team. You just can't lean on them as the, as the go-to. Rap is the ninth or tenth guy off my bench. 
Well, like I he, give no argument here against that. He's been a walking turnover and, and his fouling. And and it's he is a uh, he's a set shoot. He's like a uh, he's a set shoot set foot shooter who needs um, he's like got a mid range come. He's like a Kevin Kevin Miller type of player. Uh, you know, can come off a screen and hit like a mid-range jumper, but that's that's the extent of it so far that I've seen. And despite his length, it, it, it it's misleading. That's the thing. He it, his length is misleading, just like Vokes' length is misleading. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter that they're seven foot because it he's not he's not disrupting enough shots. He's not grabbing rebounds defensive rebounds are if you're seven feet tall i i don't i can't even put my head around it how do you not average close to 10 a game like, that should be game. that should be his way to double double is do rebounds and scoring 10 points a game yes on yeah. putbacks hustle he, and get offensive rebounds and get putbacks we don't need yeah. to run the offense through you on post-ups he is. He was five of twelve from the floor, and three against USF, and three of six from the line. He took more shots than anybody else. And I, I'm like, I I don't need more than five or six shots out of him a game. They ought to be dunks. And I, and I swear to you, if I was his coach, and if he flexed after an open dunk as a seven footer, <laughs> I would run onto the court and body check him down, like. I, I, oh, well, I could, I yeah, I, I, I can sense the frustration. Everyone the is feeling it. He's lucky. John Brandon is lucky that this game happened oh. simultaneous with the college for the American Athletic Championship. Because if it had it, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had all the eyeballs? Uh, did, uh, Brandon will learn very quickly how fast our fan base will use the words fire him. Yep. <laughs> Any fan base will, though. I again, it's how it's happening. It's what it looks like. It just looks completely uninspired, and it's it's alarming. If you, especially if you're a Bearcat basketball fan, this is not how it's supposed to go at all. It, it's, uh, you know, his his when it. I'm trying to think of when his contract, his retention bonuses, um. I, I may or may not be talking to somebody about that today. Oh, uh, March 31st of 2022. Um, I, that is, that is a milestone that I will be shocked if he makes. I would, I would, based on how the team looks right now, I bet the under. So discouraging. This is hey, who's, who's on the horizon in the recruiting scene? That, well, you There's know the no answer, one, right? We have no recruits for 21. We have no recruits for 22. It's all we're banking on the portal. That's terrifying. Terrifying, because look what it looks like right now. I mean, the Joe Humber cracked, which was great. Was I mean, technically, Rapalus and Vote can play again next year. <laughs> awesome, awesome. We're great. Yeah, That's I mean, what we look forward to. <laughs> yeah, or a Nerf Keith. Right. Who, who is uh, maybe, he, you know, they could just yell at each other the entire game. I, I wonder, I genuinely wonder what the 
what the state of affairs psychologically, relationally looks like between the team and Brandon. Yes. Because if there's one thing that's, uh, that's always been the case is that from the moment that Brandon landed there, I have not seen so much uncharacteristic spin about him that, that it just kind of weirded me out. If that makes any sense, like folks just really quick to defend him, uh, really quick. Cause he's, you know, Lo- local boy, right? Wasn't it the you know? anti? Wasn't that the anti Mick though? Wasn't that just people ready to move on from Mick Crone and and just ready to, <laughs> to 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 hang on to whatever hope there was? He's not Mick. Different personality, new style of play. He's going to bring in a different era. And so, what I thought that's where it was coming from was a place of he's a new face and we needed it. I I think so. Um, and. <sighs> You know that I think what's tough is you when you mix in the humanity of a guy, right? I mean, I read Justin's article about you know last season and his uh, you know losing his father. That's heartbreaking stuff. Um, but I, I will tell you that uh, despite the humanizing, despite um, me thinking that he appears to be a great dad and a great husband. Um, I was concerned that he wasn't the right guy from day one. And my sense has only grown. And I can't even put my, uh, I can't even wrap my, you know, my mind around what it is that, that missing piece. Um, but there, there is something that's off there and it's, and it's far more cultural, relational, spiritual about who he is as a leader that isn't quite jiving with our program. It didn't felt weird from the jump. And I keep, I keep waiting on him to warm, you know, him, him to kind of, for me to go, Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's why now I get it. And early there were times where, you know, he would kind of hold court in press conferences when he did actually win some games last season. And, you know, there would be kind of like the wonkish, you know, his uh, command of the metrics and, and this, that, and the other that, you know, that everybody kind of, you know, would, oh, yeah, he's on the ball. And, but that doesn't, <laughs> that stuff is fine. But if you're, if you're still trotting out terrible rotations, it doesn't matter how well, uh, how strong your command of metrics is, if, if you're not actually allowing those to guide the coaching decisions that you make and basketball is a metrics game, but it's uh, at our level with the kinds of uh, players that we are recruiting at the university of Cincinnati. You can't, it's not Moneyball. These are 18 to 22 year old kids that you have to lead and you have to develop and you have to mentor and you have to um, not only, you know, get your system in their head, but you have to, work them to a place where they believe in you and they believe in themselves. Um, and that task is more spiritual. It's more cultural than it is tactical. And I, I guess that's what concerns me. I'm not sure whether he has that yet. He had it at NKU, it seems. 
but we'll see. Well, that's that's the we were joking that as soon as, as soon as you were hopping on, the comment that I I made was, you know, Chris Vote when he brings him over is is from like a high high major type of basketball player is Chris Vote that type of player, you know, and but we're we're giving him minutes as if as if he should be, and it's it's where it's like those decisions where Brandon seems to almost being stubborn at times too, to to admit that that maybe he's wrong and he just he wants to stick it out too long i also just think he he's not he's not transparent enough like you don't have to like you know tell me every single detail of juicy detail of what's going on in the locker room but you know when we we're talking about with jaron cumberland why are you making us read the tea leaves just tell him that his foot that he has an injury great cool we can yeah. all move on we know there's something there but he seems to just not want to just come out and be be forthright with us and he takes, I think, a long time to like come to these conclusions that Coomer and I joke about. Like, we're figuring out a week and a half before he is, yeah. and you know that that shouldn't be the case. It, I think I think it's again, it's apples to oranges, and some people are elite, and there it doesn't make any sense why they're so uh, daggone elite, but they just are. And I I remember every press conference. Um, Luke's Luke's first season being blown away at how much ownership he took, how candid he was about, about not knowing what the fixes or solutions were. Now, I don't know how many times in a press conference, somebody would ask him a question and he would kind of laugh. And, and I, and we got to a place where we understood what that, you know, he's laughing because he's like, I, I, he didn't know. Right. And he also, he didn't try to BS like he knew everything, you know, there was just a humility about how he went about his process that I haven't, I haven't observed yet. Um, and, you know, there's one thing to have moxie and, um, but it's that, you know, I, I'm a little concerned that, you know, some folks, it's hard to, if they know everything, they can't really, they're not fantastic learners. Um, and in, in the sport of basketball, you've got to learn, learning the game systems, how to, you know, how to beat a zone, that stuff. If you've been playing and coaching for a long time, that's, that, that's easy. I mean, but, the game of basketball is about people and learning personnel and, and, and it's about learning like culture and it's about learning, um, you know, how people want to be led. You can't, you know, there's this old fashioned Bobby Knight way of if this player doesn't listen to me, I'll choke him at half court or whatever. <laughs> um, and Bobby Knight going to have to choke a bitch. Is Bobby Knight going to have, and that 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 flew in Bloomington for a while, but it does it wouldn't fly now, no. and 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 it shouldn't fly because we've all you know it's 2020 we've all learned that some people like to be led different than others, and you can't just have a one size fits all approach to how you lead a team of young men, um, and everything feels awkward right now. It feels a little forced, and it's uh, there's just no natural flow to it. 
inspiring words about the Bearcats basketball program. <laughs> wow, I sound dark. No, I mean I it, it is dark. I mean, and, we're in a dark place with it. It's it, we were that we're felt really like prepared. that felt extremely honest and therapeutic, and hopefully uh folks glean some value from it. I just I, I had a moment. You mentioned the Luke Fickle press conference, and I and I got a smile because I'll go back to this post-game presser because I found it astounding after Georgia. I think if you listen to that post-game presser, you will learn a lot about the challenges the Bearcats are facing right now. And it's because the first question, the I forget the exact question, but it, it was basically his moment to lead off and give his thoughts on the game. And he and he it sounded like there was a moment of I'm gonna have a reckoning with having some accountability for what we're seeing on the court. And he says, you know, uh, Mo. Kevin, you know, I had, I had told my guys, this is on me. This loss is on me. And instead of proceeding to talk about this, how the, how they're coaching and what's, what they're putting on the court, what position they're putting them, putting them in. It was about, I overscheduled here. This is about overscheduling back-to-back uh, <sighs> -back road games on the sec. You know, Georgia, Georgia had a week to prepare as if this is football. Dude, be tougher. Um, that, that, that is, <laughs> that's bad. That's really bad coming from a basketball coach about overscheduling when when we started two and four and the games are against Lipscomb, they're against Furman, they're against South Florida, they're against Georgia. This isn't a world beating schedule. It's a good schedule, but it's not a world beating schedule. And things have to get better fast or or it's gonna get quite ugly in terms of how the fan base is perceiving what's happening on the basketball team. We we lost to USF because uh, we didn't we we did not prepare our team with Period. that Brian Gregory came in with a good scheme. Brian Gregory is a good coach, by the way, he's not a great coach, but he's pretty good. And he came into that game far more prepared than John Brandon. He got out coached and Brandon said that, but uh, you know, he, he then followed that up with a bunch of other thoughts. And so it diluted that, but that that's, that was my takeaway watching the game was you didn't scout. You did not scout this team um, to really. I mean, there. <laughs> USF was is not that talented of a team. No, Dan Dan Horde. I, I listened to these post games because Dan Horde asked asked him about. Um, look, uh, the press worked really well in the second half. Thought about getting into it faster in the first half, and there was a bunch of words that didn't really give a reason as to why we didn't you know, I think it was about game flow, but we scored 41 points. And if you're scoring buckets, you can get in the press. So there's, we, we are not, we are not, we are not out coaching people right now. We're not I, doing I'm, anything well on the court. And there's just, there's just nothing good to say right now. I'm worried about a staff too. Yeah. I'm worried about a staff. I'm worried that, um, you know, so I, I have a close friend who is who was close friends with Tom Crean's assistant coach. And Tom Crean is uh, you know known for clapping up and down the sidelines of the basketball court. Um, but he's he's not a tactician. You know, he's a great salesman. He's fantastic at recruiting. Um, and in the game he's a great cheerleader. But he's late to practice. Uh, he doesn't he couldn't coach his way through most of the things, but he understands that Tom cream. And so he makes certain that his associate head coach is, you know, he gives him the keys. Yeah. He lets him run. And um, I'm, I'm a little concerned 
it's not that I think that John Brand doesn't know basketball. He does, but I, I'm a little concerned that he doesn't know people and that he hasn't been challenged like, like this challenge and that he's, he hasn't surrounded himself with folks who, who are able to compliment him um, or have a leadership style that's humble enough to acknowledge that he needs complimenting. Um, you know, he's, uh, yeah. B Fox, Bernard, we appreciate it, sir. God bless um, you. Thank you for taking the time to talk about college football and also the uh, depressing times that are the basketball team right now. Thank you. Two and four, two and four, nine and oh, two and four.